You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. So if I were to ask the question, how are you doing? How many of you kind of wouldn't really know what to say? Or maybe you would have the the generic, I'm okay, or I'm fine. I think that one gets used more than anything. Or maybe you'd even go to the point of saying, well, it's not good right now, but, you know, I'm hopeful. I think things will turn around. It's got to get better, right? Well, we tend to think that there are good times and bad times that we just cycle through in life. Actually, think of it this way. Parallel train tracks. That in every season, at every moment of life, Good and bad things are taking place at the exact same time. So you might say, you know, my my marriage is great, but my business is bad, or vice versa. My marriage isn't great, but my business is good. Different things on the different tracks, both good and bad, happening at the same time. You can even have that in your marriage, that one spouse is more the pessimist and one more the optimist. And the one who's the more pessimist is like the chicken little who says, you know, gosh, things are so bad right now. I don't know how we're going to get through this. And the the other one might say, well, you know, yeah, I agree. Things are bad. I'm not sure either, but somehow God is going to get us through. And this plays out in our lives time and time again. God made the world. God loves us. God is at work in the world. And yet we live in a fallen, broken, cursed world where there is also Satan and demons. And today we're going to talk about these two different tracks, the good and the bad, and how they are concurrent in our life. And we're going to take this concept and apply it to the life of Jesus. Jesus in this context, is near the end of his life. Now, we have been tracking through the Gospel of John since the beginning of this year. And what we noted just a couple of weeks ago is that in the first half of the Gospel of John, it roughly dictates for us about three years of Jesus' public ministry. The last half of the Gospel of John, and where we are now, is barely over a week's time. What that means is that Jesus is literally days away from being murdered by means of the crucifixion. So what's going to be happening is the worst and the best things in the history of the world at the same time. We're going to hear about this today as we open back up to John chapter 12 and we start again. Here is our Lord Jesus. He says, now my soul is troubled. Is that good or bad? That's bad. How many of you, the problem, the pain, the perplexing situation is so bad, your soul is troubled? That's where Jesus is. And it's okay to be honest about the hard times. Jesus says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? You know, like, make this go away? No, Jesus says. For it was this very reason. Here's my purpose. I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. 
Then a voice came from heaven, so now God the Father speaks. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The Father speaks, Jesus is there, the crowd is there, and as per usual, the crowd just doesn't get it. The next verse, the crowd that was there and heard it said it it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. You see, Jesus knows exactly what's happening, that God is speaking to allow others to learn. And Jesus continues, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, what's that? That's the cross, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. All bad, right? Then the crowd spoke up. Well, we have heard from the law, like, you know, we went to Sunday school. Um, We had people teach us things, and they said that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? If you've been with us for the last few weeks, then you know Jesus keeps telling them that he is the Son of Man, that phrase taken from Daniel chapter 7 where it is one like a man comes to earth it's Jesus one who is God who takes on human form and he will be established in an everlasting kingdom Jesus keeps telling them he is the son of man so it's not that God hasn't spoken it's just that they're not paying attention Jesus says, I'm the son of man. And they're like, "Uh, who's the son of man? Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. Again, Jesus is in the final days of his life, heading towards his death. And these two tracks he's traversing are literally there together, simultaneously painful, wonderful, at the same time. It's the same thing that you and I experience. Let's think about this for a moment. Jesus is suffering emotionally, physically, relationally, There are other ways that he's going to suffer, and we do too, but let's start here. First of all is emotional. Jesus says, my soul is troubled. One commentator about this passage says that that verb, troubled, is so strong, it means shock, agitation, even revulsion. How many of you have had that experience A horrible thing happens. A painful thing happens. You're in shock. You're bothered. You don't understand. How is this in your life? There are certain moments in your life where it's okay to say, as Jesus did, that my soul is troubled. Emotionally, I'm not okay today. I'm in shock, and I haven't yet worked this through. 
Jesus Christ is fully aware of what it is to be pierced at the soul level. And it's okay to be emotional with God. It's okay to express our emotions because Jesus does it. He is emotional. He is God. And he identifies and understands our emotions. Number two, Jesus is suffering physically, or at least he's about to. He knows what kind of death he's going to die, it says, he said. He's young, he's healthy, he's in his 30s, and he's about to be crucified. So Jesus is suffering physically as well. Some of you know what that's like. You have pain, illness, injury, chronic suffering. Maybe you have impending doctor's appointments, surgeries upcoming. You're battling cancer. It's physical because sin has affected and infected all of creation. And then Jesus is also suffering relationally. He tells people, in effect, I love you, and they say, we don't love you. I want a relationship with you. We really don't. I'm God, come to be your friend. And they're like, we're not even sure that what you're telling us is the truth. Well, I'm going to die for your sin. Well, we're going to kill you to shut you up. Well, I'll come back and forgive you. We don't need that. We're good people. Some of you know relationally some of what Jesus is going through. You feel isolated, abandoned, betrayed, alone. That's the Lord Jesus And yet in the middle of all of this, Jesus finds a way to have that also be wonderful. Let me go through a series of questions from Jesus' example. Number one, what is God's will for me? Jesus says, it's for this purpose that I've come. Now the painful, the tragic is, you're going to kill me. But the wonderful is, this is God's destiny. This is God's will for me. The most important thing that you and I can do, especially in those painful, difficult moments, is to seek to determine, okay, God, what's your will? What is it that you want from me? How am I going to deal with this? Jesus says it would be common. It would be pretty normal to pray, Father, deliver me. Father, get me out of this. Father, I thought you loved me. Instead, what Jesus prays is, thy will be done. Some of you find yourselves in a situation and you say, I I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to lose my job. I didn't want to lose my spouse. I didn't want to lose my health. This is where I am. Okay, God, what's your will for me? Number two, how can I glorify God? Jesus asks how he can glorify God. Here's what's happening when we're suffering. We tend to be very selfish. We think we're the only one that's hurting, and therefore we have a right, we've earned this right to rebel against God. To glorify God in the midst of that circumstance is to reflect reflect something of the character of God. We have a saying in our culture, you do you. No, not for the Christian. We don't reflect ourselves. We reflect the one who made us and loves us. The Westminster Confession of Faith says, 
The chief end of man is to glorify God. So let me make this practical as God's image bearers that we are. (laughs) When you woke up this morning, maybe one of the first things you did was look in a mirror. For some of us, that was a catastrophic moment. (laughs) But what did you see? Your reflection. God made you to reflect him. That's what it means to glorify God. So here's how that plays out. Hardship comes. You use that hardship to grow your relationship with God. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Someone sins against you and you forgive them? Why? Because I've sinned against God and Jesus forgave me. Why do you love those people? Because Jesus loves me and Jesus loves those people. The way that we have this live out in our lives, that we ask, what is the character of God and how in this moment can I reflect that? How can I show others something of the character of the God who loves me? The third question, what is God revealing to me? So Jesus is in this painful moment and something wonderful happens when God the Father reveals that all of this is for his glory and ultimately for our good. That what happens that when you're in a struggle, wonderful things can be revealed to you. So how many of you, you've gone through suffering and in the midst of that, you've learned something about God that you would not have learned otherwise. It's people who say, you know, It was the worst day of my life. I didn't want it. I wouldn't have wished it on anyone. But I'm glad it happened. Because I have learned something about God and about his affection for me that I would not have learned any other way. Some of you have been through hard seasons in your life. Some of it's been self-inflicted, self-induced. But even then, in those seasons, God still loves you. God still speaks to you. God still reveals himself to you. And he'll teach you things that you would not have learned any other way. And the fourth question, where is the enemy lurking? Jesus said, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. He's talking about Satan and demons. And everywhere that people are suffering, Satan is lurking. You need to know that because when you're suffering, you're more susceptible. And what Jesus is saying is that there is a painful struggle because Satan is at work. Even at Jesus. Satan will be at work in Judas Iscariot. But at the same time, this is going to be wonderful because Jesus is going to fight against Satan. And guess who's going to win? It may look like Satan's got the upper hand on that Friday. But just wait. Easter Sunday is coming. Here's what's happening for us. When we're suffering, we tend to think all about is that suffering that we're in the middle of and we tend to blame God. Maybe something has happened to cause you to question God. Okay, God, why did you bring this evil in my life? Let me share this. God is good. 
He cannot bring evil. So if it's something that's evil, it's not from God. Instead, think about this. Satan brings evil, and he wants you to blame God so that you're fighting against God rather than joining in God in his fight against Satan. Next verse. When Jesus had finished speaking, he left and he hid himself from them. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they would still not believe in him. He had done so many signs before them, and yet they would still not believe in him. Well, if God would just show up, he did, and many did not believe. Well, if God would just perform a miracle, he did, and many still did not believe. And let me say this, God is still active. God is still saying and doing things, and lots of people are not responding to him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Let me share with you that phrase, arm of the Lord, and how that that just plays out for us. Think of it. When you were a child, a little child, or if you have children of your own, this will be a little bit more recent illustration. Let's just say that you were going somewhere with your kid, and it wasn't a place that you frequent, and it was a big place, a mall, or even more so, let's say a theme park. As a parent, what's one of the first things you're going to do is you're going to reach out your hand and grab the hand of your child. They don't have to see the way. You can see it. They don't have to know where they're going. You know the destination. They don't have to know all the complexities. They just need to know that their dad's going to take care of them. The picture here from Jesus is that God the Father sends God the Son to be the hand of God to take each hand of a child of God and lead them safely home. I love that picture. Some people want to know, what does it mean to be a Christian? This. It's to have Jesus take us and bring us to the Father. For this reason, they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. All right, Isaiah chapter 6, 700 years before Jesus walked the earth, Isaiah said, I saw the, whole, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, Surrounded by angels who cried out day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Who's that describing? Isaiah says, that's my friend Jesus. 700 years before Jesus walked the earth, Jesus is worshipped as a king on a throne for all eternity. Yet at the same time, Many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. There is a battle going on in the hearts of some of these leaders. 
Some of them really don't want to come out clear and, and, and say, yeah, I'm with Jesus because the fear of those who are so adamantly opposed to Jesus. Jesus says, I'm God, and they say, no, you're not, those who are opposed. Jesus says, I'm here to forgive your sin. We're not sinners. I'm here to help. We don't need any help. And what verse 40 said is that God blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. Read that carefully. God blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. Does that bother you? Does it seem a little cruel? Well, God, if you're the one that has caused them not to have faith in you, how can you punish them for not having faith in you? Let's see if we can make some sense of this. So the season they're in is Passover. That's why they're all in Jerusalem. It's this week-long celebration. And the Passover comes from Exodus. All week long, they're reading the story from Exodus. And the story from Exodus is this. These are God's people who are to be ruled over by God. Yet, at this moment, someone else is ruling over them instead of God, but he claims he's God. He's the Pharaoh. Now, we can look at this and say about Pharaoh, that guy's got a problem. Or we can say, we're all like Pharaoh. How? Because we want to be the highest authority in our life. What happens then is that God raises up a man named Moses and tells him, on my behalf, go and speak to Pharaoh. And when Moses has to deal with Pharaoh, it says in Exodus, on numerous occasions, that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And frequently it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So what Jesus is saying is that here's what you've been reading about all week long, and he's telling them, you moral, spiritual, devout, church-going, religious people, your hearts are just like Pharaoh's. Really? We're just like Pharaoh? You see, in Exodus, it says 18 times, that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Nine times that God hardened Pharaoh's heart and nine times that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So the question, which is it? Both. God did harden Pharaoh's heart in the same way that Jesus is hardening the Pharisees' heart. How does he do it? Through love, grace, compassion, mercy. In that moment in Exodus... Not only is the Pharaoh's heart revealed, but so is God's. In this moment with Jesus, not only are the Pharisees' hearts revealed, but so is the Lord Jesus's. Now, here's how it worked in Exodus. Moses goes to Pharaoh. The real God says some things need to change. <laughs> well, you need to tell him that I'm the real God. God's like, okay, Moses, Go tell him again. All right, look, Pharaoh, God will forgive you. You let his people go so he can love everybody. No, those are not his people. They're mine. 
over and over, this battle rages between these two. And Moses goes back to Pharaoh. Well, just so you know that he is the real God, there will be some consequences. There'll be some plagues. And each one's going to be a little bit more painful. And at any moment, you can change your heart. And at every moment, Pharaoh digs in. So the question is, does God harden people's hearts? Yes, he does. But here's what's really important. How does he do it? By being patient and by wanting them to surrender to a relationship with him. Look at it from God's perspective. There are some people who absolutely hate God. And the more he pursues them, the more they turn against him. Pharaoh hardens his heart, and at every turn, Pharaoh's heart gets harder. That's not God's fault. For some of you, your heart is hard toward God because you're in a dark season. God wants you to turn to him and have a change of heart. How's your heart toward God today? And some of you know people who who don't know Jesus, but you know Jesus and you know them and you love them and you want them to know Jesus. Or some people have heard about Jesus, but they've closed their eyes. They've got spiritual blindness. Well, look who Jesus is. Look at what Jesus does. We want to pray for you. If if your eyes have been closed to Jesus, we want to pray that they will be open to him. If your heart has been hardened, we want to pray that you will have a tender heart toward Jesus. Now, these people that we are talking about, they are the unsaved. And they don't even know enough to be worried about that. But also in this story are the saved. And they similarly are walking a painful path. And know this, we live in a day where if you wave the I believe in Jesus and the Bible flag, it's not going to go well on social media, right? There was a day when Christianity held a privileged position and was well respected. Things have changed and the church is on the out. Well, actually, there's nothing really new about that. Here are two verses that we just read again. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. Now, perhaps more than at any other time in our nation's history, you've got to decide whether or not you're willing to identify with Jesus. You know, there's no room in the Bible for private faith. Yeah, it's got to be personal. But it's always going to be with a public expression. This is why we have worship every week and Sunday school, and Bible study. So every week you can declare, I'm on Team Jesus. And when we have baptisms, or we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, it's your way of saying, I'm on Team Jesus. And for many of you, that will mean a price to pay with family or friends or coworkers who don't want to hear it. 
what are you going to say? Are you going to speak on Jesus' behalf? You see, what's happening here is that there are people who don't belong to Jesus. And there are people who do belong to Jesus, but they're not going to let anybody know that they belong to Jesus. Jesus continues. Whoever believes in me. All right, who does that include? All of us. The invitation goes out. Jesus says, I'll love you. I'll forgive you. I'll have a relationship with you. I'll bring you into the eternal kingdom. But I've done bad things. Jesus says, whoever believes in me. But I've not lived for Jesus. Jesus says, whoever believes in me. But I wasn't raised in the Christian faith. Jesus says, whoever believes in me. Do you believe in Jesus? That's the big question. Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. So he's, he's going to, at his second coming, judge the world. But in this, his first coming, it was to save the world. He goes on. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at that day. I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads me, leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. See, Jesus absolutely bottom lines all of human history. When he says, I'm God, you're a sinner. I'm here to forgive you of your sin and to have a relationship with you. Whoever believes this is on team Jesus. And you get to have eternal life in his presence. And again, by way of context, Jesus is on the brink of his crucifixion. He's just days away from dying. And let me remind you what he said just a few verses ago, and then we'll close by talking about the cross. So the same chapter of John, chapter 12, verses 32 and 33, there's this painful track. We're going to murder God. And then there's this wonderful track. God's going to save us because of that murder of Jesus. Hear again what Jesus said, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, again, that's the cross, will draw all people to myself. Isn't that amazing? And he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The most dark, painful, woeful thing in the history of the world is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And the most wonderful thing in the history of the world is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Why is it the most woeful thing? Because it shows how a hardened human heart rebels against God constantly. 
Why is it the most wonderful thing? Because it shows you the Father's heart. That he wants to love you and forgive you and have a relationship with you. And furthermore, eventually in God's time, all that is painful will at the end become wonderful for the child of God. So as Jesus invites us, run to the light. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.